Thank you very much, Stan. Um, right, well, we've got uh, Boris Johnson speaking tonight. I think we all have some sort of um, idea of what he's going to say. The slogan will change, stay alert, um, out goes stay at home and uh, all of that. And what we've had, I think, not uninterestingly, uh, at least in terms of what I've managed to read, is objections from um, various administrations in Wales, Northern Ireland, and, and in particular uh, in Scotland. Um, there's also a story that Nicola Sturgeon has been kicked off the COBRA uh, meetings because uh, she uh, goes to the COBRA meetings and then leaks uh, the basic decisions and debates uh, to the media, at least that's the story. So clearly the uh, government wants to keep a, a tight lid, a tight control uh, over the uh, news uh, agenda. Um, it's also, I think, worthwhile looking at the United States. Uh, Obama has um, entered into what is in reality uh, the run-up to the presidential election in November, not only has he endorsed Joe Biden, uh, but he's come out uh, and attacked Trump's handling uh, of the pandemic crisis as a chaotic disaster. Um, from this side of uh, the pond, I have to say, uh, when I look at the United States, I couldn't put it better. On the other hand, when I also look at uh, uh, Britain, uh, you have to say that uh, uh, it's also a chaotic uh, disaster. Not enough uh, uh, PPE, protective equipment, uh, not enough uh, ability to do tests, not enough hospital beds. Uh, so they actually gave up uh, any attempt at uh, mass testing very quickly and uh, were in danger quite clearly of overwhelming uh, the um, NHS and uh, uh, quite frankly uh, we were told that, you know, uh, a good result um, of this pandemic, in inverted commas, would be 20,000 deaths. Well, we're well, well over uh, 30,000 uh, deaths now. And uh, what scientists tell us is that uh, if the lockdown ends too quickly, uh, then there will be 100,000 uh, deaths in uh, Britain. Quite frankly, given where we are at at the moment, um, somewhere in the middle of the first wave of the pandemic, um, I would be very surprised if uh, the number of deaths actually don't go above uh, 100,000. As to the United States, I haven't got a clue uh, where that will uh, uh, go. Uh, now, it's true uh, that if we look at China, uh, South Korea, uh, Germany, uh, they've had uh, renewed outbreaks of coronavirus. That is completely to be expected. Um, but so low uh, are the numbers. What they've got the ability to do uh, is to go around and test people who've got it and all of their contacts. I mean, that's the beauty of keeping the thing under control um, from the from the beginning, as opposed to what's happened in Britain. Uh, it's taken off, it's spread throughout uh, the population. Uh, that is what's happening in the United States following in Britain's uh, wake. Uh, and of course what happened in Italy 
is that their health service, which apparently is a good health service, was actually uh, overwhelmed. Okay, uh, we've also had the usual old stories, given we've got a bank holiday weekend, and at least yesterday uh, was bright and, uh, and sunny, uh, of people going out into parks and um, sunning themselves and, um, you know, having a drink and having a bit of a party. Uh, I think this really does highlight not uh, um, people's social irresponsibility, uh, but to me it highlights social inequality. Uh, because if we look at Boris Johnson, what did he do when he got out of um, hospital? He didn't go back uh, to the flat at number 10, excuse me, number 11 uh, Downing Street. Um, he went to uh, the Prime Minister's uh, estate uh, in Chequers. What's uh, Elizabeth Windsor doing? Well, she's hunkered down in that little tiny um, flat of hers uh, called Windsor Castle. Meanwhile, Charles Windsor is up in Scotland um, in Balmoral. You know, clearly these guys can walk for miles and miles without meeting anyone. Uh, they can do all the exercise they want. Um, you know, uh, it really does uh, highlight the difference between people who are either sharing uh, a space or confined to a tiny uh, uh, flat. And quite frankly, um, if, if you are confined to a tiny flat, it really is necessary for your mental health uh, to actually get out uh, uh, into the into the open air. Okay. Um, economically, uh, I think it's very clear now uh, that there won't be a, a, a V-shaped um, uh, downturn and then followed by a very sharp uh, upturn. There's all sorts of uh, economists coming out with all sorts of letters, uh, but <laughs> I think what we can safely say uh, is it won't be V-shaped. Uh, the downturn in the economy has seen millions uh, unemployed, clearly uh, a lot of businesses will go out, uh, they won't bounce back, uh, people's uh, uh, income uh, will be squeezed down, their purchasing power will be squeezed down. So there will not be an economic boom um, uh, this year or any time soon. Uh, as I said, various economists have either talked about a W, um, others a, a U. Uh, but then it's quite possible that what you'll get is something more L-shaped, uh, i.e. a sharp downturn uh, and a continued, um, um, how should you put it, stagnation. Uh, you're, you're bound to get some sort of recovery uh, when the lockdown ends or as it's eased, uh, but I think it's going to be extremely uh, lethargic. And also, of course, as we've seen uh, elsewhere, there's always the possibility of uh, a second wave or a third wave or a fourth wave uh, of in infections. Okay, just uh, a quick note. Um, this is me speculating. Um, I don't know what the situation in Israel is, so I've been reading various papers and I came across an article in Haaretz, which is the sort of liberal uh, paper in uh, uh, Israel and there's an article there, an interesting article on um, the Netanyahu cabinet uh, 
and the fact that according to the stipulations of uh, Donald Trump's deal of the century, um, next month um, um, Israel has the right, according to that um, deal of the century, uh, to annex more territory. Specifically, what's been singled out is um, uh, the Jordan Valley, um, which is uh, not heavily uh, populated, um, but is certainly desirable land in terms of agriculture, um, access to water, uh, and all the rest of it. Now, we have a cabinet uh, that consists not only of various right-wing parties, uh, but also uh, the main block of uh, blue and white led by Gantz. Remember, he's the um, prime minister in waiting. Um, you know, there's going to be a three-year uh, a coalition during which, theoretically, Netanyahu um, um, serves as prime minister for one and a half years, and then Gantz takes over for the other one and a half years. What that represents is Netanyahu's keep out of jail card for three more years. Now, I don't know, uh, but it would seem to me that in the middle of coronavirus, um, um, uh, the annexation of more Palestinian territory uh, would be, um, how should I put it, um, a good move as far as Netanyahu uh, is concerned. That's that's how I would view it. The writer in Heretz that I read said no, he didn't think it was going to happen. Um, Netanyahu has been very successful in using the possibility of annexation to attract right-wing voters uh, during election campaigns. There's not going to be the necessity of an election campaign, so we think, for at least three more years, so that doesn't apply anymore. And also what the writer was saying is that Netanyahu has been successful in keeping the Palestinian question off uh, the agenda of the so-called international uh, community. Uh, and he wants to keep it uh, that way. Uh, but on the other hand, from what where I see things, uh, the fact of the matter is that in terms of international protests, um, if the world is under lockdown, okay, the Palestinians might still come out and protest, uh, but what about in London, what about in Washington, what about in New York, what about Paris, what about Rome, um, etc. Uh, I don't see tens of thousands, let alone millions, uh, coming out on mass demonstrations in solidarity with the Palestinians. Either way, uh, we've emphasized that the anti-Semitism um, um, so-called uh, crisis is actually a witch hunt, and what it's about uh, certainly isn't um, any big problem that the Labour Party has got with anti-Semitism. It isn't even uh, about uh, Israel uh, possibly uh, annexing more territory or Israel launching some preemptive strike on Iran. It is about Britain's relationship with the United States and the United States' relationship with its chief attack dog uh, in the Middle East. That's really what it's about. Um, so we are not surprised whatsoever uh, that the witch hunt has continued after uh, Jeremy Corbyn has resigned and after uh, we have a new uh, Labour Party uh, leader in the form of 
Keir uh, uh, Starmer. Uh, we've had the stories already of Diane Abbott and Bell Rabino uh, uh, Addy. Uh, we've also had the story of um, Salma Yacoub. Apparently she was uh, booked to share a platform with Tony Greenstein. And, of course, what happened uh, uh, is that uh, Stop the War Coalition nationally uh, actually sided in objective terms uh, with the witch hunters. It ended its statement in defence of Salma Yacoub by saying that... Uh, um, we've never given Tony Greenstein a national platform uh, and we don't approve of anti-Semitism or using offensive language. End of statement. Well, that's basically accusing uh, Tony Greenstein of um, peddling anti-Semitism. He would actually, of course, plead uh, um, guilty uh, to using offensive uh, language. In his view, if people use offensive language to him, uh, he feels free uh, to fling it back into their face. Uh, and uh, I have no problem myself uh, uh, with that. But remember, this has happened uh, under the watch of uh, Jenny Formby. Uh, we're going to get a new uh, general secretary. And also, apparently, what we've got um, is um, Keir Starmer fulfilling uh, one of the uh, pledges uh, that he made, one of the Ten Commandments laid down by the British Board of uh, Deputies uh, to bring in uh, the Jewish Labour movement uh, into giving uh, Labour Party HQ staff uh, training um, um, in um, uh, how to oppose uh, anti-Semitism. Now, it's worthwhile noting uh, that in terms of... Um, uh, Netanyahu's new cabinet, not only do we have uh, blue and white and various right-wing parties, we also have the sister party of the Jewish Labour Movement, i.e. Uh, the Israeli Labour Party, which is now committed uh, to the Donald Trump uh, deal uh, uh, of uh, the century. Um, so what sort of anti-Semitism training will Labour Party staff be getting? Well, it's perfectly legitimate this is what the Israeli uh, Labour Party says, uh, to dispossess the Palestinians of more land. That this uh, project uh, of Israel um, isn't uh, about saving Jewish lives. Uh, it's a colonial uh, project uh, designed to replace uh, the native people uh, with an incoming uh, uh, people. That is the truth. But if you say that, you will be, of course, accused of anti-Semitism. Of course, in reality, what we are is not anti-Semitic, we're anti-Zionist, two completely different things. Just a little note, I did read so The Socialist this week, and I did read Socialist Worker, or I didn't. There was nothing in them. Sorry, comrades, very boring. Uh, the only thing I read was a, a short review in Socialist Worker, and the reason I quote it uh, is to really show the lack of self-awareness uh, of the um, SWP uh, comrades. They've got a review of a new film called The Assistant. This is uh, post-Harvey Weinstein. Um, so it, it, I think it's a, not a biopic of Harvey Weinstein. Um, I, I presume it's a fictionalised uh, account, but the film is about, quote-unquote, the horrifying realities of abuse uh, of women by powerful men. Well, given Paul Blackledge and Delta, i.e. 
Martin Smith, um, I think that the Conways would be advised to be a little bit more reflective uh, in terms of when it comes to powerful men. Uh, that isn't just about Hollywood. Uh, that's also about us um, on uh, the left, the way that the left is organised, I think, of necessity. Um, and nevertheless, uh, does build the possibility of people abusing uh, uh, power. And clearly we need to be on guard uh, against that. And in our view, uh, the best way to guard, it's not a guarantee, but the best way uh, to guard against people abusing uh, their positions is openness in terms of politics uh, and democracy, of where leaders can be called to account. That is not possible in the Socialist Workers' Party. You have a self-perpetuating Central Committee. It's elected as a slate, uh, and the Central Committee appoints all uh, the full-timers, uh, all the district uh, uh, officials. Um, so, yes, a self-perpetuating uh, bureaucracy in reality. Okay, just a very quick comment on some of the articles and um, uh, letters on the transitional programme that have appeared in um, the Weekly Worker. I can't say I was uh, impressed by uh, Rex Dunn's um, uh, article. Um, I can't say I'm impressed by the 1938 transitional uh, programme. Basically, the transitional programme was premised on the idea that capitalism stood on the verge of collapse. Uh, Trotsky was painfully aware of uh, the lack of a party, the lack of cadre, and thought basically he could rely on spontaneity and he could rely on economic struggles, sliding scale of wages, sliding scale uh, of hours. But basically, if the workers take up uh, the economic demands contained in the transitional programme, they would, how should we put it, lead themselves uh, towards a situation where they establish uh, defence guards, uh, challenge the army, form Soviets, and find themselves in power, led by uh, the Trotskyist um, uh, cadre. I mean, that's basically the story. Democracy uh, is completely lacking from the transitional uh, programme. The, the role of consciousness uh, is lacking or downplayed uh, in the transitional programme. So instead of educating the class uh, in terms of a, a rounded programme and championing all oppressed strata uh, in the population, what we have is a concentration, in essence, on trade union uh, issues. Um, in terms of um, um, a democracy, it sort of therefore reminds me somewhat of the sort of maximalists. Um, and the most amusing one, of course, is the Socialist Party of Great Britain. I remember talking to some of their leaders, they don't have leaders, by the way, um, talking about, well, how... How do we get to socialism? We get to socialism through a general election. People vote for the Socialist Party of Great Britain, uh, and that's it. And I go, well, what about the army? What does that do? Oh, well, the army already, of course, they vote socialist, don't they? What about the monarchy? Ha, ha, ha. We've got rid of the monarchy years before uh, that. But they've got no demand to democratise uh, the army, to abolish the army and replace it with uh, a people's militia. No demands to replace the monarchy with a democratic republic. It's somehow all going to happen uh, by itself. 
Um, also on the silly side, I have to say, I'm sorry, uh, but the article by Paul uh, B. Smith, or the letter, I should say, by Paul uh, in this week's worker, telling us, this is echoing with Rex, uh, that the workers, of course, nowadays wouldn't uh, have to go through the bother of forming uh, any uh, armed uh, guards, uh, any worker, uh, any worker militia. Uh, why, uh, according to uh, Paul, because of air power. Jesus, God help us. This this is sort of reminiscent of um, various uh, writers in the 1920s who, looking at the rapid growth in the power of aircraft and the uh, distance uh, that aircraft could travel and the loads that uh, uh, aircraft uh, would carry, could carry, uh, thought that the age of ground war uh, was finished because apparently all you needed to do was bomb cities, uh, the civilians uh, get demoralised and governments have to surrender. Uh, that was basically the thesis. Well, we saw that put into practice in World War Two. Far from the civilians um, demanding surrender, far from governments surrendering, uh, uh, the air attacks actually had the opposite effects. Uh, people didn't uh, turn against their government, uh, the people that they hated were those that were bombing them. Uh, in Germany, uh, the American um, and British Air Force uh, were called terror uh, uh, bombers, and you can understand why, because Britain and America had a policy of not uh, singling out um, uh, military uh, targets, but the mass extermination of the civilian population, who on average would have been against Hitler, uh, i.e. Uh, the big towns, the big cities in Germany, would have voted historically social democrat or communist. And what we had is the British government and the American government basically going in for carpet bombing, uh, and as I said, deliberate mass uh, extermination of the civilian uh, population. Okay, uh, and just a last note on that, I'm actually going to talk about World War II in closing, but on the last note on that, the idea that modern warfare makes um, civilian or, um, how should we put it, unofficial army resistance impossible, well, just look at Afghanistan. America has dominated the skies of Afghanistan for nearly two decades, and yet what we have is the Taliban still dominating uh, most of the countryside um, in Afghanistan. And, of course, it's a dangerous thing to do for American pilots simply to fly uh, across uh, um, Afghanistan because what the Taliban have got is these things called stinger missiles supplied to the Mujahideen um, uh, in order to shoot down uh, Soviet aircraft and Soviet helicopters, very effective um, uh, surface-to-air uh, missiles, which they still have and still use to considerable uh, effect. So the idea that the workers could come to power in Britain or any other country without taking the question of arms seriously is the sort of nonsense that you actually get from the Socialist Party of Great Britain. For some reason, uh, these comrades don't want to take the army question uh, seriously. Uh, presumably they think that the working class can simply come to power through taking strike uh, action, uh, which is basically an anarchist uh, sort of uh, view. Okay, VE Day, we've seen people 
waving union jacks, we've listened to the radio, we watched it on TV. Um, some of us have uh, looked at the Morning Star and um, the articles um, um, in that paper by um, Robert Griffiths, the General Secretary of uh, the Morning Star CPB. What was World War II uh, about? The first thing that I would say is it was not a repeat of World War I. Uh, too many comrades on the left have learnt their um, attitude to war simply by reading Lenin and those that took a principal position from 1914 onwards and tra transposing that uh, back into the past and into uh, the future. So every war becomes one uh, that you say, uh, down with both sides, uh, don't fight uh, uh, the enemy, turn your guns round uh, and overthrow your own ruling class. That becomes a universal um, response. I think that's a mistake. What happened in World War I is that Germany, which was the weaker uh, power, uh, was provoked into war uh, uh, by Britain, the declining imperial power, uh, in order for Britain to knock Germany out uh, as an imperial challenger. Uh, Germany was manoeuvred uh, into war, and Germany knew that. And if you read uh, books by uh, German generals and German strategists at the time, uh, they're acutely aware, because of their economic weakness and military weakness, compared with the triple alliance of Russia, France and Britain, uh, that they will have to move extremely quickly to knock France out, um, i.e. blitzkrieg, uh, to, to stand any chance they'd have to remove France um, from uh, the game. Uh, they wanted, therefore, to repeat uh, the success of Bismarck uh, in 1870-1871, uh, where the Prussian army uh, defeated the French army, uh, encircled Paris, uh, and forced um, a, a, a French surrender, and uh, the French uh, were forced to concede territory. Germany was then united uh, under Prussian uh, control. Um, in 1914, Germany tried it. It went round the Maginot Line, or whatever it was called in those days. I think it was the Maginot Line, wasn't it? but it couldn't knock France out. So it took Belgium, it then got stuck. And what we had is years of trench warfare. Um, okay, we all knew that World War I uh, was coming. We knew the nature uh, of World War I, um, and the genuine left wasn't fooled uh, by the fate of poor little Belgium, uh, which the Germans overran and uh, uh, occupied. In Britain, you had lots of silly stories about Germans killing nuns and Belgian babies uh, and all the rest of it. But okay, World War II, on the other hand, did see Germany strike at France, knock it out. It also struck uh, uh, to the east, took over uh, Poland. Um, it also then struck uh, further to the east in Operation Barbarossa in 1941, again with the aim of uh, knocking uh, the Soviet Union uh, out of the war, leaving Britain isolated and forced to sue. 
and the basic deal that Hitler would, would have offered Britain is that we dominate uh, Europe. You can keep your uh, British Empire, uh, but we are in control of uh, Europe. Hitler didn't want um, uh, to take over the whole uh, of Europe in some sort of uh, um, state uh, fashion. Um, we all, we've all seen uh, Mein Kampf. We know what his plans were for the East. It was to turn Russia uh, into a German India. Uh, Germany would exploit uh, Russia, reduce its population uh, to slave status, um, that or wipe it out and make living room uh, for German uh, colonists. Uh, as to Germany, there would be a greater Germany, not only obviously incorporating Austria, uh, but he had plans to incorporate and Germanize um, um, Holland, uh, the Netherlands, uh, uh, for example. Uh, so this greater Germany uh, would dominate uh, uh, Europe. Uh, meanwhile, there will be the British Empire, and meanwhile, there would be the United States. But uh, a Germany dominating Europe would be the global hegemon. That would be the calculation. Now, what I would say, and this is, isn't a CPGB uh, position, is therefore, because of this particular uh, configuration, what World War I uh, was, was first of all not the repeat of World War I. Uh, it had elements of that, Britain versus Germany. That was a sort of World War I struggle, an inter-imperialist struggle. Um, and uh, um, uh, uh, that's true, that, that's what uh, was fundamental uh, to it. On the other hand, if we look at the situation of France, Belgium, Holland, Denmark, Poland, uh, the Ukraine, uh, Russia, uh, to the uh, gates of uh, Leningrad and Moscow, what we had is the population uh, of those countries um, not only occupied, uh, but oppressed in the cruelest possible uh, uh, fashion. I think in Poland, uh, in the course of World War II, something like a third of the entire population uh, died, um, you know, uh, horrendous uh, uh, suffering. Okay, so under those circumstances, when you have the Polish resistance, you can't accuse them, at least I wouldn't, of being pro-imperialist or, or pro-British. No, what they were uh, is people fighting uh, to stop the destruction of the Polish nation and the Polish people, and I'd apply that uh, to the resistance movement in France, the resistance movement in Belgium, the resistance movement uh, um, in Holland, and other such uh, occupied uh, uh, countries. In the same way, if you take the war conducted by the Soviet Union, um, it clearly wasn't um, of the nature of the war conducted by Tsarist Russia. It's of course true that Stalin had uh, uh, plans for territorial expansion. What he wanted, actually, was a buffer zone uh, to protect uh, Russia from such uh, an attack. But Russia uh, of Tsarism uh, was what I think Trotsky called a colonizing colony. It was a semi-colony uh, of uh, France and Britain uh, in particular. It had features of being an imperialist power, and it was certainly um, integrated uh, into the imperial system. You could not say that 
about Stalin's Soviet Union. It was an exploitative society, yes, uh, but it wasn't an imperialist power in the sense of exporting capital um, or having capitalism, the monopoly capital, state monopoly capitalism, anything like that. Okay, so I think that World War II needs to be seen in that light. It's a, a, a complex war. It was a combined uh, uh, war. Uh, in terms of Britain, um, I think it would have been correct uh, for communists in Britain, uh, if Britain was invaded, you would have fought uh, the, the German um, in, invasion. But what you would have demanded is that the war would be fought as a people's war. You, you would have been demanding things like the election of officers. Uh, you would have been demanding, certainly, the overthrow of the Chamberlain uh, regime, which, in essence, was um, sympathetic or had elements within it that were certainly sympathetic and would certainly uh, uh, have collaborated uh, with Hitler. Anyway, my main point is that it was a combined war, it was a complex uh, war. Certainly, uh, I would disagree with Robert Griffiths, uh, who turns around and says, this was an anti-fascist war. I don't think that Britain, I don't think that the United States fought an anti-fascist war. Um, uh, I think they fought a war won in the shape of Churchill and in the shape of uh, Attlee, to preserve the British Empire to the extent that they could. It was generally agreed on the Labour side uh, that India uh, was unsustainable. On the other hand, uh, Labour was uh, perfectly happy to extend the British Empire uh, in Africa uh, and the Middle East if they could. In other words, uh, uh, for Britain, this was an imperialist war. Clearly it was an imperialist war on behalf of Germany and Japan. And, of course, for the United States, when it entered the war, it entered the war in the full knowledge uh, that Britain was finished uh, as the hegemonic power and its time had come. This was going to be the American century. Uh, and, of course, that's what happened. And anyone could have told you uh, who was going to win. I think if you actually read some of the last writings of Lenin, he's predicting uh, a World War Two. He said that it will be uh, between Britain and the United States on the one side and Germany, and it will be Britain and the United States that will win. In the late 20s, Trotsky actually talked about a world war between Britain and the United States, sort of in its own way. That's actually what happened, uh, even though the United States and Britain fought on the same side. But it was America that won. Uh, that what, that's what needs to be understood. In terms of the Soviet Union, um, what we got is because of the Cold War, uh, i.e. America basically going for global domination and not managing to incorporate uh, the Soviet Union under uh, that system, um, what you had is Stalin moving reluctantly to begin with uh, to go in for something that's been called structural incorporation. He originally was quite happy uh, to see um, uh, bourgeois governments in Poland, uh, in um, eastern Germany, um, in Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, and all the rest of it. And it was because of the Cold War 
that he went in for so-called Sovietization, i.e. the incorporation of Eastern Europe um, in as not merely a buffer zone um, uh, to protect uh, the Soviet Union, uh, but something that was incorporated in to the system of the Soviet Union. Anyway, um, I fundamentally disagree with uh, Robert Griffiths when he told his uh, uh, readers uh, that if you want to go out there uh, on VE Day and wave your Union Jacks, and um, when you wave your Union Jacks, remember in 1945 uh, that uh, this stood alongside uh, the hammer and sickle of the Soviet Union, the Stars and Stripes, and the flag, of course, of the Guomintang uh, regime in China of uh, Kang Chai Shek. Uh, that is not our flag. Our flag stays red. That's it.